Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Culligan Water of Logan, serving Cache Valley for almost 70 years, providing Culligan bottled water, whole home systems, soft and conditioned water. Hey, Culligan Man, service from the man in blue. Details at CulliganLogan.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. It's the first day of UPR's Spring Pledge Drive. And uh, welcome in as co-host, USU Communications Studies Assistant Professor Jason Gilmore. We're going to uh, present parts of several recent Access Utah interviews, very recent. Um, so we'll see how this works. Uh, people might say, well, man, that's too recent. Anyway, but the theme, the, uh, the theme I just really wanted to talk to you, Jason, about. So I knew you'd have some uh, good things to say about this. So we'll add some value to this, as they say in, in business school. Uh, we'll hear some of our listeners expressing opposing viewpoints. StoryCorps founder David Isay will urge us to try to overcome our differences by truly listening to each other. And we'll talk about UPR's upcoming partnership with StoryCorps in their One Small Step initiative. That initiative invites two strangers to share life stories across a political divide. That's my first invitation to you uh, to, part, to at least uh, go online to fill out the questionnaire. And then from those questionnaires, we match up strangers uh, to, uh, to not know so much to talk about issues. We don't want this to be a debate, but in a StoryCorps-like setting, an intimate setting, we want strangers to, uh, to just to share themselves in the hope that we'll take one small step, in the name of the initiative, uh, just, just listening to each other. Um, so uh, we'll be, talk- be talking about that. Of course, uh, the big ask this hour is to support Access Utah, putting out a personal appeal. Uh, if you like the program, would love to see uh, your support, your renewal, maybe an extra gift. 800-826-1495, the number 800-826-1495, or you can go online to upr.org, upr.org. So Jason Gilmore, welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, so what's, what do you got going on these days? You've, you've traveled to Brazil, you, you take uh, students on an annual pilgrimage to civil rights, rights sites in the south? Yeah, um, right now I'm taking a little bit of a break in between uh, projects. Um, uh, as we were talking about earlier, I'm hopefully up for tenure here uh, in the next year, so that's where I'm focusing my energy right You've now. You've got to have your T's crossed and your I's dotted for a that. A lot of them, yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, good luck. Good luck. Thank you, sir. Um, we appreciate you here at UPR. Um, so I guess the, the, the top here, maybe your initial appeal. You you support UPR. Oh, well, Why should fellow listeners do the same? You know, I, I, I think about this every time Pledge Drive comes around because, um, well, because Pledge Drive is coming around. But I think about what what is the value that uh, UPR gives to my life. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk later on today about uh, what type of a world we live in and how, how divided we are, or at least how divided people tell us we are. Um, and Utah Public Radio, National Public Radio chimed in through Utah Public Radio is a space for dialogue, for respectful dialogue. This is something we should value more and more. Um, And, you know, uh, everything in our lives right now, from Netflix to streaming CBS or whatever it is, uh, costs us a little bit of money. I I figure this is is really the place that that we can throw some value, uh, where we can provide some value, um, and it, it helps out kind of our our society, right? So subscribe to Netflix, that's great. You get to have a good evening off, and that's good. We need those days. 
subscribe to Utah Public Radio and you're subscribing and supporting open dialogue, access to information, intelligent discourse. Um, so I'm I'm behind it uh, 100%. percent mm. Uh, we got the contact points up here. Jason, I wonder if you give those. Sure. Uh, I would go with upr.org um, online first uh, because I think that's where the grand majority of people are uh, subscribing today. That said, when I pledged to Utah Public Radio, I called in. Uh, so the number for that is 1 800 826 1495. So please call in, uh, go to our website. So let's, uh, let's start with the. Um Actually, I, I think we'll, we'll change things up. Let's start with the controversy, shall we? Um, and this is from this week. <laughs> okay. Um, and this is not bad. It's not bad to have a, have a discussion, but I, I think what you'll hear in each of these voices is frustration. Mm-hmm. And it probably was always so, but it, it, it just seems like we're so polarized. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you'll hear... Um, so we'll first hear from Don. And this is from just a couple of days ago. We, uh, we had on uh, Renda Eckwurzel from the Union of Concerned Scientists. We're talking about climate science. The program, admittedly, I'll, I'll frankly admit this, was pretty pro, you know, uh, the view that uh, there is human-caused climate uh, science, climate change. Uh, that's because I think the vast majority of our listeners you know, subscribe to that view. Sure. Uh, we have had a program or two, which has admittedly been kind of fun for me, where we had a, a climate change skeptic on, and our listeners just lined up to beat up on the guy. Um, and I, and to, to, the, to the point where I called him afterwards and I said, hey, how are you feeling? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. <laughs> and he said, oh, I'm okay with, you know, I'm okay. Um, but... Um, it, it, another uh, point of background, our, our listener Don has uh, been frustrated with me personally mm-hmm. for what he sees as attacking uh, President Trump. So let's hear, uh, let's hear from, from, from Don. Uh, before we go on, uh, I wanted to uh, treat uh, several more of these and then, uh, then talk about, obviously we'll get to uh, you know, mitigations and uh, I want to get to some, some specifics for Utah as well. Uh, Don in Logan uh, has called us. Uh, Don, uh, glad you've joined us. Thank you for taking the call, Tom. Before we tear something down, we've got to have something better to replace it. And our standard of living and industrial lifestyle has come about because of all of the things that might give off some side effects. You're not convincing me that mankind has influenced the climate at all. I think it goes through natural cycles, and it's ridiculous to blame football players on the field dying from climate change. It's just... If their common sense is out in the sun too much, that's their, maybe they don't need to be in the gene pool. I think y'all need to read Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, because if you don't, your ignorance is going to be even more prevalent and more obvious. And Tom, please quit criticizing President Trump. We, we elected him in. He's our president. If you don't like it, you're just going to have to wait to get one of your own in. I'm sick of hearing him being the scapegoat for everything. And thank you for taking my call. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Don. Appreciate that. Uh, Doctor, we have several calls coming in. Um, Dr. Gwerzel, what, uh, what would you say to, to, to Don? You, you haven't convinced him. Okay, so I ended it uh, there. Um, and, and I'm really, you know, you might think I'm insincere just moving on there when I say I appreciate Don. I, I really do. 
I really do appreciate him listening. Um, that that means a lot to me that uh, that he is uh, listening and that he took the time to to call, express his uh, express his point of view. Uh, and Don, you've you know you've given me something to chew on there. Um, as, as host, uh, I I definitely have a role and I need to think uh, you know carefully about that. I don't know, you know, the, I don't know what changes, if any, I would make. Um, but I definitely appreciate you, you know, you saying that and, and respecting your point of view. Near the end of the program, we had a, a caller who didn't want to go on the air, but uh, but expressed her viewpoint to uh, my producer Emily, who relayed it into me. So here's here's that. I want to get this uh, email in? Um, uh, actually, a call. Uh, Jennifer and Vernal called and. Uh, and so my producer has transcribed this, uh, so I hope I get this uh, right, Jennifer. Uh, she says, uh, uh, quote, Trump is a crook, and we're going to say bad things about him, end quote. Uh, she said, Ayn Rand was, uh, quote, one of the most selfish people, end quote, and why would anyone want to be like her? And uh, she said she spent two weeks in the hospital recently after a run-in with some Trump supporters with guns. Uh, that sounds uh, serious. Uh, she says she mostly wanted to say that... Uh, I'll, I'll uh, change this slightly, Jennifer. She disagreed with the guy who recommended Dan Grand and uh, that we have the right to criticize uh, the president. So uh, Jennifer is uh, disagreeing on a couple of points with, uh, with Don. That's what this forum is, uh, is all about, as long as we disagree in a reasonably agreeable uh, fashion. So it's good to have a uh, full spectrum represented in our listenership. I'm, I appreciate that. I really do. Um, so uh, let's uh, move on, unless you want to weigh in here <laughs> on, on that particular point, Dr. Eckworth. Um, just, I, I have enjoyed reading many different books from many different perspectives over my life, and uh, it helps inform my, my thinking today, and, and we all have that opportunity. Uh, by the way, Don, I'll just uh, add this parenthetically, and I guess now that I say it, I, we better do this. Uh, for quite a while, I've envisioned an episode of this program where I would uh, bring someone on who's an inherent of Ayn Rand and uh, have uh, have them uh, explain Ayn Rand to me, um, you know, a proponent of Ayn Rand. <laughs> and so I'd, I think I'll I think I'll look for someone to uh, Don. You could uh, you could uh, email us back in or call back in and and maybe recommend somebody to to perform perform that because Ayn Rand is very influential for, with many people and uh, I think uh, it'd be good to to explore that anyway that's parenthetical wouldn't we now have just about a, a, a couple of minutes left okay and that was from this uh, just this week um, you can hear you know we didn't get Jennifer's voice but you can hear from her comments frustration again it's, uh, is you know why is the person on the other side saying that? And in Don's, you know, why are you, why are you picking on the president? You keep picking on him, uh, you know. Um, so a couple more here, and then I want to uh, pull uh, Jason Gilmore into this. Um, <laughs> that that sounded like that sounded loaded, but I, I just uh, invite you <laughs> invite worry. you to talk talk about this. Uh, so then yesterday I got uh, an email. Um, from a listener. listener says, forget Don's comment accusing you of criticizing Trump. The list of egregious behavior this man goes on and on. Trump lies as a bigot, parenthetically encourages hateful speech and gun violence, misogynist, and is the worst president ever. Keep up your great work and ignore the ignorant. That's what uh, that listener said. And then I'll just do one more uh, anecdote I'll relate. I was uh, talking to a friend the other day, related to Don's comment, and the friend uh, said, I agree with Don. 
Uh, they said, uh, it's just, paraphrasing this friend, it's just over the top. Uh, and that there are some good things happening under the Trump administration. We ought to lay off a bit. Um, so uh, all of that in aid, I guess, uh, Jason, of, of saying what I appreciate about this forum, what I really want is many different points of view. Mm-hmm. That's why I so appreciate Don, because it does, our audience, I think, does skew a bit liberal. And uh, so Don, obviously conservative, and I'm grateful he's listening, grateful he, he responded. Um, it, it's, but we need a, a dialogue, and, and you could hear in those responses a lot of frustration, and I don't know if we're there yet on Access Utah, and I don't know if we're there yet as a country mm-hmm. to, to actually be willing to completely listen to each other. Sure. Now we're you know we're not going to change each other's minds, but you know can we listen a little better? I don't I don't know. Anyway, Jason, what are your thoughts? Um, I don't know about the listeners, but um, I'm having flashbacks of the Thanksgiving table um, right now. Yeah, right. It, it happens in um, our families too, right? Yeah. And yeah. and it's that kind of uncomfortable space that all of us, um, you know, kind of feel ten, uh, tentative about uh, weighing in on and, and participating in. Um, I think the first thing that I can say is that um, although each of the listeners or, or people who – well, each of the listeners who contributed um, have – are definitely expressing frustration, sometimes insults against each other, which maybe we should back away from. If we're, if we're asking people to – inviting people over to, to listen to our side, we can't be lobbing insults at them. Um, so just in the, in the form of effective communication, we need to extend a little bit more grace to each other. Um, so I think that's, that's an important piece of this, is uh, to be willing to have a conversation that's civil. Um, and that's difficult for people who are so passionate about their political issues. I have my beliefs, you have your beliefs. Um, to be able to kind of cage or at least tamp down the emotional reactions and say, let's have a, 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 a civil conversation with us about this. And that's what we need to have is more civil conversations. At the same time, we need to be open to those conversations with each other, which does include, and I think we'll get into this with uh, Isaac's uh, book, is, is this idea of, of listening to one another. Um, but again, I'm going to stop listening the moment I get called ignorant or I get called a fool or I get called stupid for my beliefs. Um, so if we really want people to listen to us, we have to bring uh, an immense amount of respect for each other. And so the first thing that we can say is that each and every one of these callers cares about their country. They disagree, right? But they care about their country and they're trying their best to find their way uh, to care about their country. And I think that's a moment of extending grace to somebody and saying, um, I see your humanity. I disagree with your points of view, but I still see your humanity. Um, And those are moments that we can start to reach across the aisle and have those conversations and be open to listening because the words coming at us are not lobbed threats and insults. Uh, I don't know what you would say about the influence of social media. It's, uh, it's, it seems like if you if you want to build your personal brand, if you want to be an influencer, if you want to get the followers, you have to kind of be outrageous. 
which is totally antithetical to what you've been talking about here. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I so we were talking about how divided we are as a nation, and I mentioned earlier that how divided people tell us we are as a nation. Um, it seems to be the people who are mad um, who are vocal, right? And the grand majority of people are staying silent and going, I don't want to have anything to do with this conversation, right? Because it is filled with those insults and and evaluations of, uh, of each other as if we're horrible human beings on the other side of the aisle. And so I would actually argue that we're not as divided as, as we're told, right? We're not as divided as it seems because the vocal radicals get onto social media and lob things at each other and get mad at each other and lob insults at each other. And those of us who are much more moderate about things who actually might want to try and have conversations across the aisle um, are quiet because as soon as we speak up, there's just insults lobbed at us and we're like, okay, I'm out. So the problem with with that part of social media um, is that it uh, discourages respectful uh, dialogue. Um, but I would argue that there are a lot of people who would like to, and I think you'll find success with the, the program that you're adopting here for that same reason. Yeah. I think, I think we miss each other. Yeah. Right. I think, I think we've, we've been apart from each other so long, but we know we have connections. Yeah. Um, so that would be my argument. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that. I hope you're right. We miss each other, and we, we're, we're wanting to want to get. You I know, think I heard that first on yeah. your show, actually. Oh, okay. I didn't remember that, but it's great. We'll attribute that to Access Utah. Um, so I just want to tell you just a little briefly before we go to break. Uh, One small step is uh, is a project from uh, StoryCorps. They selected six uh, public radio stations nationwide to participate. We were are one of those six. And what they want to do is to break down barriers created by politics. Uh, remember our shared humanity. Know that we have more in common than we think. That treating those with whom we disagree with decency and respect is essential to a functioning democracy. So what's happening right now, uh, what I'm asking you to do as a favor to me right now is uh, a couple of things. Go to our website, upr.org, upr.org. Find the one small step uh, little box. Click on that. And if you feel so inclined, take the questionnaire. Hmm. And it's from that survey or questionnaire that we will be matching uh, strangers um, to come to studio. We're going to, we're going to be going to several areas around the state. And, uh, and you'll have a chance to maybe be selected to participate in this. And we sit down in a StoryCorps-esque setting and uh, not talk so much about issues, not have a debate, but uh, talk about ourselves, talk about it and ask each other about ourselves and get to know each other again. That's what we we hope to do. Uh, and, of course, the other thing while you're on upr.org is, uh, if you feel so inclined, pledge your support. upr.org or 800-826-1495. We're going to hear from David Isay, founder of StoryCorps, following this break. Did you know that robots can help children develop skills to work and learn together? Researchers have found that when interacting with educational robots, even those designed for solo use, children will invite friends and peers to play the games and complete the activities with their classmates. Using a smartphone app, the small robots can teach nearly any academic skill. What's more, language translation technology can help young students who are not yet proficient in English to participate, allowing these students to learn in the classroom at the same speed as their English-speaking peers. This segment of Did You Know That has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services. 
committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. I'm Jeremy Hobson. A hundred years after Teddy Roosevelt's death, we'll look at his legacy and where a Republican like him might fit into today's political landscape. The idea that one could not allow private wealth to accumulate without regulation, that the government had a role to play in regulating the economy, that puts him squarely in Bernie Sanders' camp. That's next time on Here and Now. Listen in this morning at 11 here on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams, along with uh, USU Communications Studies Professor Jason Gilmore, and uh, it's the Pledge Drive, and so that means on Access Utah that we are reaching into the archives, uh, some of our favorite episodes, most impactful episodes, um, and we're going to hear next from David Isay. I believe this interview from 2011, um, and in the middle of this, uh, we will hear just a charming love story. That would be, be very nice. Uh, but we uh, do acknowledge uh, we had um, a listener, Robert Muller, in Stansbury Park, uh, call with uh, with their pledge of support to Utah Public Radio. Right. We don't believe it's that Robert Muller, unless he's taking a break. from. We hear the investigations winding down. But anyway, uh, Robert Muller in Stansbury Park, thank you so much. We appreciate that. Thank you, indeed. Uh, won't you add your support to Jason's, who's a member, to, to Robert's? Um, and to, to many others who, uh, who support to Utah Public Radio, really does take you. Uh, public Radio is kind of an odd model. We do get some funding from the federal government. We get some funding from Utah State University. The, but the majority, the bulk, uh, comes directly from you. And more and more these days, as other sources of funding uh, kind of get harder to, to get to, we rely more and more on you. And the model is further a little strange, Jason, because we uh, present the programming, we do the best we can, we try to put our best foot forward, and then after the fact, we come to you and say, did you like that, uh, that you've been receiving essentially for free, and would you kick in some money? Yeah. It's, it's a model that would be laughed out of business school, but, uh, but it works. Yeah, because it appeals to um, people's sense of civic duty. Right, and that civic duty should not be sold to somebody, but civic duty should be something that we rise up and and uh, and provide. So I think it it might be laughed out of a business school, but uh, um, it's it's been working thus far. So yeah, I, I I think it appeals to the right side of us. Yeah, I keep referring to business school because I I went to business school. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> one of those odd uh, public radio people that got an MBA. So was, nice. uh, I can tell you, it's a whole different world. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. I had a professor, by the way, just parenthetically, my first business class, uh, he had us do projects, which was, that was, a, it was a fun thing to learn organization and teamwork and such. And he said, you need to have specific goals. Uh, you need to have uh, measurables. And I don't want to hear anything about, uh, about raising awareness. Hmm. Uh, which, and I, I was thinking, that's what I do for a living. It's yeah. <laughs> raising awareness, kind of the mushy, but very important work. Indeed. You know? yeah. uh, anyway, all, you know, all sides are needed, as we were talking about with the political discussion. So let's hear this. Let's hear um, David Isay. He's the founder of StoryCorps. And uh, if you're not familiar with StoryCorps, um, he, uh, David Isay was a, a documentary, radio documentarian. 
And so he would go out, uh, you know, interviewing people. And he had this epiphany, what if we have uh, people, just regular people, talk to each other? Mm -hmm. And so it's usually loved ones um, going to the StoryCorps booth, the StoryCorps Airstream trailer when it comes to your town, and have an intimate, and it is pretty intimate, it's a small little space. I was able to go into the booth with my mother, and you just uh, talk to each other and uh, get to know each other, and and surprising things come, come out. You express regrets or love or whatever it might be. And as uh, David Isay says, listening is an act of love. Um, so I had a chance, I think this was 2011, to uh, talk with David Isay. In the, in the middle of this, they were doing a series called Love Stories, I think it was. That was the latest book out. So you'll hear a, a piece uh, from this. So here is my interview, partial interview with uh, David Isay. Have you, have you learned things about how, how to draw people out, or is that not necessary? You, you sit down in that setting and, and people naturally will will talk in an authentic way about their lives i think it's about um it's about careful listening you know and and active listening is is it's not um it's about really paying attention to what someone's saying um you know i i used to make radio documentaries as i said for many years and i you know and i saw that there was nothing that i was doing that was particularly different than anything anybody else could do as far as asking questions i mean you want to prepare a little bit and you want to really care about what the answers are and pay attention. If you're present, um, then, you know, really, you know, miraculous things happen. And, and all of us are capable of, of doing that kind of listening. And the idea of StoryCorps was to kind of take documentary and flip it on, on its head. And instead of creating a, you know, a, a doing interviews to create a broadcast or a film that educates people and is heard by many people and enjoyed by people, the idea is that there is, social good to be had by giving people the chance to talk to each other and interview each other and that um, kind of turning documentary into an on-the-ground public service and that's the core of what StoryCorps is that you give the opportunity people the opportunity to connect and recognize um, you know that how much they matter by by having this experience in a booth do you find that a lot that maybe some people come in maybe like your your great uncle Birnbaum maybe need a bit of validation if they find that if a person's interested enough to sit down with them and record it and that's going to be archived in the national you know the library of congress that some of it that validates their life is important yeah and you know i think it's in direct proportion to um how unheard people feel in society you know as i said earlier we do a lot of outreach to people who might not have heard of us through public broadcasting or the newspapers and, you know, people who feel most like their lives, you know, may not matter. Um, the, 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 the act of, of being listened to, having your story recorded for posterity, becoming part of American history at the Library of Congress, um, I think can be particularly profound. Um, you know, I think of that we're spending a lot of time with the Times article about the early days of StoryCorps, and I'm thinking about that original booth in Grand Central Terminal. And, you know, we had a homeless uh, woman come in in the first days after StoryCorps opened. Um, and she came in by herself. Most people come in pairs. If you come in by yourself, there's always two facilitators at the booth who are these people who travel around kind of collecting the wisdom of humanity. And if you come in by yourself, both facilitators go in the booth. One interviews you. The other does a recording. And this homeless woman came in by herself. And then um, afterwards, she offered the facilitators her food stamps to pay them for the interview, which, of course, they didn't take. But um, she uh, left very quickly uh, after both knowing that it was going to the Library of Congress and to take the CD and put it in her safety deposit box at a bank, which was the only place that, you know, for her where she could 
put something safely because she felt like this was, you know, about the most important thing she'd done in her life. We're talking with uh, David Isley, founder of StoryCorps today. Uh, let's hear another one of these uh, stories. These are great stories, and I think all are love stories here that, that you've sent us. I'll set this one up. Here's a love story that begins in the Catskills. It's the summer of 1946. Honey Feller and her identical twin sister, Bunny, were waitresses at a hotel. Another set of identical twins, Elliot and Danny uh, Riken, worked as musicians in a band there. At StoryCorps, Honey and Elliot remembered what happened when twins met twins. When we met, you and your sister couldn't tell us apart, and we couldn't tell you two apart. But by the end of the summer, there was no chance of separating us. And we had a double wedding. You and I were married the same day as Bunny and Danny were married. And it was two brides, two grooms, one set of parents for each the gowns were identical gowns. Uh, the flowers were identical. We both went on a honeymoon to Miami Beach by different trains. Yeah, so people it wouldn't be so obvious that people would be staring at us. You know, yeah, the twins that married the twins. What did you think about marrying me many years ago? You bowled me over with your way of kissing and the way you hold me when we dance. You're not a fantastic dancer, but you hold me fantastically, and I feel it. It's genuine. You're just not phony. I don't think you have a phony bone in your body. And I never thought anybody lasts this many years. Like just yesterday, it was our 50th anniversary. Yeah, now it's 11 years after that. Yeah. I never feel, what will he do if I die first? You know how to open tuna fish. You know how to smear it with mayonnaise. You will not fall apart. You'll feel sad when I'm gone, but you'll manage, and that makes me feel very good. Thank you for being you, Elliot. You made my life complete. And I say the same. You made my life complete, and we hope we go on for another 50 years. I'll take five good ones. Five good ones. And I'll say thank you, God. Honey and Elliot Riken at StoryCorps in New York City. The Rikens live in Brooklyn in the same house they bought with their twins over 50 years ago. Honey's sister, Bunny, still lives upstairs. What a wonderful story. They, they sound yeah, that, like... would, that would fall into the you know the characters. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you... But you know, but I think what what um, what Honey says to Elliot is could almost be like a theme. Uh, like a motto for StoryCorps. I mean, at some point in that that interview, she says, "I can't remember the exact words, but there's not a, you're not you're not a phony. There's not a phony bone in your body." Um, and I think that that's part of the 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 power of um, of the stories we hear on StoryCorps. Uh, we're we're just about out of time. I, I want to end with um, the the title of of the first book, "Listening is an Act of Love." And I, I know you talk about this, and, and of course, you promote a National Day of Listening, which I think is yeah. the day after Thanksgiving. That's right. Um, but I've, I've read you before, um, ascribe a, a pretty powerful, maybe a, some national healing to just the art of listening, just the act of listening, that maybe in this polarized world, we can come together a little bit if we listen to each other better. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the things that you learn from StoryCorps, it's not that, you know, I think it's pretty obvious, but you know, it, it we, we do live in a very polar, polarized polarized culture. But if you really talk about, if you sat down and, and, and talked with someone who 
you may disagree with on one or two issues, 99.9% of the things you'll agree on, you know. And, um, and uh, I do think that, 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 um, that this act of, of uh, kind of listening and, and um, trying to find common ground, you know, you think about how, um, you know, you, we, we talk a lot about Congress now and there, whatever it is, 11% approval rating. Um, and their inability to work together, and you know, I think everybody knows this. But you know, people say that in the, you know, in the olden days, there was, uh, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, the they used to have dinner together, <laughs> and get to know each other as human beings, and that doesn't happen anymore. And that's, you know, a big part of the cause of the uh, the gridlock that we don't get to know. You know, we're suspicious. Uh, separated, we don't get to know other people as human beings, and I think if we took a little bit of time to find uh, find our commonalities, it would be easier for uh, people across uh, you know across the political spectrum and and across all kinds of divides to get to know one another. I mean, that's partly the power of radio. Also, every week on StoryCorps, I think you hear the voice of someone who almost by definition is going to be very different than you, and hopefully, just for a moment, you by when you're listening to their voice, you recognize a little bit of yourself in that person and walk in their footsteps. And that you know the power of that recognition of our shared humanity, um, uh, particularly as uh, you know, in, in, through, through the human voice, I think can be a very, can be a very powerful, uh, force. You're listening to Access Utah. Uh, you're listening to Access Utah. That's, uh, David Isay, a conversation on Access Utah from uh, 2011, I believe. Um, David Isay has always, uh, always been a hero of mine. He's this, this project, StoryCorps is so inspiring and it's it's thousands and thousands of interviews that are now archived at the Library of Congress. Yeah. So that you'll be able to, you know, uh, your great great grandchildren could could go back and hear your voice and hear your love, and you know, it's wonderful. And now this new project, one small step, uh, trying to apply the StoryCorps model directly to our political divide. Uh, we are asking you to go to our website, upr.org, click on the one small step link, and there's a survey or questionnaire there. If you'd like to be considered for participation, and then we will, from those questionnaires, be matching up strangers to not so much debate the issues, but to talk across the political divide and uh, just to share themselves with each other. And I think that's very, very healthy and needed more in our nation today. Indeed. To be able to see each other's humanity. That's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, another, uh, I've neglected this, and now we're 40 minutes into the hour uh, Jason, but um, uh, we have a book, David Isay's book, Callings, The Purpose and Passion of Work. I just want to read the blurb uh, to whet your appetite. And if you can kick in $120 for the year, $10 a month, you can have this book. And we only have five of them. So call now, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or go to upr.org, upr.org. Pledge your support for UPR and for Access Utah. And I do personally very much appreciate it. So in Callings, StoryCorps founder David Isay presents unforgettable stories from people doing what they love. Some found their paths at a very young age, others later in life. Some overcame great odds or upturned their lives in order to pursue what matters to them. Many of their stories have never been broadcast or published uh, by StoryCorps until now. We'll meet a man from the barrios of Texas whose harrowing experiences uh, in a family of migrant farmers inspired him to become a public defender. We meet a longtime waitress who takes pride in making regulars and newcomers alike feel at home in her Nashville diner. We meet a young man on the south side of Chicago who became a teacher in order to help at-risk teenagers 
like the ones who killed his father get on the right track. We meet a woman from Little Rock who helps former inmates gain skills and confidence they need to rejoin the workforce. So that sounds like some great stories. These are from the StoryCorps series, and this is the story, a StoryCorps book, Callings, The Purpose and Passion of Work by David Isay. And uh, that can be yours for a pledge of $120. Uh, only five of those left. Uh, I should mention, um, Jason, we have an, another person who called in, pledged during this hour. Thank you so much to Patricia Preby-Swanson from Teasdale. Uh, Patricia is a past winner of our mug contest with beautiful design. And Patricia says, I start my morning every day with UPR. She's backed up her listening with some giving. Thank you, Patricia. Nice. Thank you. Join your support with uh, Jason and Robert and Patricia and many others uh, right now at 800-826-1495 or upr.org. Uh, Anything else, Jason, you'd like to say about this, uh, what we heard from uh, David Isay and this, this model of listening as an act of love? I'm, I'm actually quite intrigued by um, those moments. You know, with this whole narrative of we're in a divided nation, um, it's so easy to come up with the argument of why we shouldn't have conversations with people, why we should uh, go over to our camps and, and, and uh, I was going to say build walls, but I mean, you know, throw up divides between us and the other, uh, the other side. So, you know, it is, that is one way of looking at the world, and a lot of people think in the way of, of political uh, strategy that that's the way to, to, to kind of serve your side. Um, but I think built into this idea of listening and reaching across the divide is not just to serve your side, but to serve society, right? And that, is, that takes, that takes a, a shift in, in thinking, right? Um, you know, I've done a lot of work with the civil rights movement, and a lot of the stories from the civil rights movement are stories of people reaching across after they've, even after um, they've been insulted or spat upon, reaching across and, and extending humanity to the person. Um, so that takes a lot of bravery. It takes a lot of courage to do that. So, you know, if we are concerned about the divisiveness of our nation, it's not about sitting around and waiting for those people on the other side to, to, to come, come around to the smart side, and then they'll reach out to us. It actually takes uh, that initiative on all of our sides. And um, I think that's what, uh, what he's trying to do with this, uh, this initiative. Yeah, I, I, that resonates with me. We've got to, we've got to start the action ourselves, right? Uh, any any person, whatever side you're on, you have to. You can't just assume the other side will, quote unquote, wake up and you know so suddenly agree with me. Uh, we have to make take the and you know accept that uh, everybody uh, has their opinions coming out of their values. And so let's let's have this discussion on the on the level of values and, and shared humanity. Indeed. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll hear from uh, historian Richard Saunders. We'll get into talking about uh, how history is remade every generation. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Salt Lake City Weekly, a Utah news source since 1984, covering news, politics, music, and more in Salt Lake City and beyond. Available weekly at 1,800 locations across the Wasatch Front or online at cityweekly.net and the Center for Growth and Opportunity at USU, with the John M. Huntsman School of Business presenting the Eccles Memorial Lecture in Economics, featuring Dr. John B. Taylor, March 26th at 2.30 in the Perry Pavilion at Huntsman Hall. Details at growthopportunity.org. 
On the next On Being, Rabbi Lawrence Kushner opens up the Jewish mystical tradition of Kabbalah. You realize immediately that you are reading about the ultimate nature of being and therefore the DNA of creation or the warp and woof of the way the world works, and that effectively becomes the inner life of God. I'm Krista Tippett. Please join us. Sunday evenings at 5 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. It's Pledge Drive, and uh, so we are uh, we are hearing uh, some past episodes. I want to get right into this one uh, so that we can have a little bit of discussion uh, at the end here. Uh, this week, had an opportunity to talk with historian Richard Saunders. He was giving the Juanita Brooks lecture at Dixie State University, and we talked about uh, got into a discussion of interesting discussion of history, how it, how it repeats, how every generation uh, um, rediscovers history. Uh, for itself. And I wanted to play this one, even though it's very recent, because I definitely want to get your take. Um, We'll only have two or three minutes for your take, but anyway, uh, I'm talking to Jason here. Uh, So let's hear this and then get a take from uh, from, uh, Jason Gilmore. Uh, The number to call is 800-826-1495 with your pledge of support to UPR. UPR UPR.org is the website. There are many more competing ideas out there now, because Mm -hmm. people are more free to put whatever they want out there. Factual or not, you know, conspiracy well, theory alongside, uh, absolutely. you know, yep. contextualized history. That And that's one of the challenges we're going to have to deal with as well. Um, interestingly enough, that's exactly the same sort of thing that Elizabeth Eisenstein documents in her book, uh, Printing in the Mind of Man, in the 15th century in Germany, as all of a sudden you could put new ideas out in this printed form that hadn't been available before. So you're right. We're, we're still wrestling with many of the same issues of, of explanation and curation and contextualization and lots of other things that go along with it. But what a great problem to have, isn't mm. it? Yeah, I guess another good problem to have, right. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, that Gutenberg, you know, take us back to, mm-hmm. to Gutenberg, bet. that uh, each generation is going to rewrite history, and each generation is going to have a different context with it, sure. with which to do that. Yep. Right. Different time in a different place. Yeah. Um, so, looking forward, what do you think the what do you think the major strains will be in in terms with the pressures um, in, in terms of writing history today? History today. Um, I, again, the idea of, of too many sources uh, of figuring out what's relevant. Um, there will always, always, always be an accusation of, of um, you're not telling the whole story. Well, you're right, because I didn't include the facts that you think are relevant, but I didn't think they were relevant. So part of it is, is just picking and choosing. As a historian, I have to choose my sources. Um, and so that's one reason why history has to be rewritten from generation to generation. Um, with the Latter-day Saints specifically, I think the, the challenge is going to be getting out of the American context and dealing with Argentina or with Indonesia or with China or with something else, um, those people will have their own origin stories at some point. Um, and, you know, not everybody who came to Utah is important to somebody in Argentina. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, so uh, back to Juanita Brooks. Sure. Uh, she publishes this seminal work. Yep. Um, and uh, I, I guess her influence is, is more maybe 
seeing that, okay, maybe we can open this up, right? I, she doesn't have, yes. per, she isn't mentoring specific scholars. But. No, she isn't. Now, she was very generous. You, you have to give Juanita all kinds of credit for being as generous as Dale Morgan had been with her. Um, and she speaks widely up and down the state, sometimes on her own dime. She would travel on her own if someone couldn't afford to pay her way. Um, but she sent, one of the reasons she's heroic is she simply didn't quit. She kept at it until her dementia eventually got her as well. Um, it's a, she, has, she deserves some credit for genuinely being a heroic writer. And the way that I – the lecture that's coming up will be a context for me explaining why I think that she is heroic and what it means for us um, as a people, as a group, as a state, um, and others. Part of what you can talk about is what history means. We've talked about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, many parts of, of this. Right. Anything else you'd like to say on that? Like what, what history means? What well, is history? What, what is history? history? History is my understanding of what happened and how I got to where I am today. That's history. Um, in, in the lecture, I will talk about a couple of philosophical terms. And really, this is, this is kind of the, the, the nut of what I'm trying to explain. And that is the difference between presentism and historicism. Both of them are perfectly legitimate ways to tell stories. They just simply have different purposes. And Juanita is a hero to one of those perspectives and a villain to the other mm-hmm. or to another. Yeah. Now, you're saying uh, each is perfectly acceptable way. Sure, yeah. But uh, adherence to one or the other would, would sometimes the not, others, not always. Okay. Not always. It's, uh, you know, it's everybody's, everybody has a context. You know, I have a context here speaking on the radio with you today. Um, somebody else can take exception to what I say, and okay, that's. But I'm telling my version of the story. Um, people ask why we can't just write history one time and that's it. Well, it's because there's more than more than one way to look at things. Uh, when I teach my students, um, I try to help them understand. There's you can you can look at through an American social history lens. You can look through a political history lens. You can look through a diplomatic history lens. You can, you know, race, class, and gender are the three large fra- uh, facets within American social history. But there's all kinds of different things, different ways that we can look for things. You know, the Greeks, uh, 2,000 years, like 2,500 years ago, the whole purpose of Greek philosophy was trying to get back to some absolutely foundational thing that no matter which direction you looked at it, it would be, it would look exactly the same. That way we'd everybody have a, a basis to, to work from. Well, as I say in the lecture, facts aren't that way. Reality is a lumpy, bumpy thing that looks different every way you twist and turn it. And so our stories are always going to change. They're all important. Uh, they're important to who we are as a people and as an individual. You know, I tell, I'm also writing a book on, uh, uh, the the shift in American rural living after World War II and what that does to the American South. There's a collision of pasts there as well, different than the one that I'm writing about with Dale Morgan and Juanita Brooks. But the story helps us understand who we are as a people. Mm-hmm. And, and all of those are small puzzle pieces that, that give us a present today. Yeah. It is fascinating to see those clashes of pasts, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And uh, you you mentioned uh, the the incredible effect of Edith Pope, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the, this 
what some would see as a mythology that that's, has no recognition in the facts. Right. Came to be widely accepted. Very, very widely accepted, partly because of money. You know, money talks, mm-hmm. especially in history, depending on, on who's willing to, to, to fund think tanks and studies groups and, 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 you know, monuments and all those kinds of things. That, that shapes what is remembered. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is that those, those monuments can sometimes be renegotiated. As, the, as time goes forward, all of a sudden the monument that was there is no longer as significant in the same way that it was, or it begins to mean something else. Mm-hmm. And we begin to see, as, as the monument controversy, Confederate monument controversy yep, has erupted, uh, then historians come forward and remind us why many of those were put up. Yep. Yeah. Well, and it goes it goes even back to American labor movement. Um, if you go to Chicago and the Haymarket Monument, um, depending on which side of the law and order argument you fall on, it was either a massacre or it was a heroic response to a to an uprising. Um, but interestingly enough, the people have the people the the quote quote people have spoken, and the monument has been taken away. It used to have a, pol- a police officer standing on top of it. You know, there was there were six police officers, but they killed, I don't know, a number of people in, in the Haymarket riot. And the people in Chicago simply wouldn't allow that monument to stand. That was, that was all there was to it. Mm-hmm. And we think about monuments as permanent. We want them to be permanent, right? Right. This is an illustration that the monument you put up today... Well, it, it's important Decades to from me. now, it might have a different context. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that goes all the way back to my work as an archivist, is I have to sometimes convince people that, yes, this, this letter or this story or this narrative may be important to you, but for it to remain important, it has to change meaning into coming generations. Um, in other words, it has to be relevant to the people in the past, in the, in the future. If it isn't, then there's no point to building mm-hmm. the monument at least not for the future. Um, and there, you know, maybe another, another interview at some point in the future of, of talking about monuments and how they function. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and that's interesting you say that. It, it, it'll have to change context. It has to. To, to be relevant. It has to, yes. But many times when we're putting up the monument, we want our view of that context to remain. That's why Untouched. we're putting it up. We want it to be yes. in the concrete, right? Untouched and, and, immo- and, and immutable. It never changes. And that's just once we've put it up, we lose control of it. Once we express it in a book, we've lost control of it. Now it's up to the reader or the viewer or the participant to say, here's what it means to me. Yeah. I will never forget one quick story, personal story. I was at Gettysburg on the battlefield um, and was standing on Little Round Top looking down into the Devil's Den, one of the, one of the hardest, hottest hand-to-hand combats in the American Civil War. And on an early Thursday morning, I pulled up, and there was a, a, a minivan that pulled up, and four kids jumped up and started clambering around the rocks. It was like, you know, going in a church with your, with your swimming suit on and looking for the wading pool. <laughs> um, but they had no context. Those kids, it was just a bunch of rocks. They didn't understand the, num- the thousands of men that had fought on both sides. And so while I was seeing... A monument they were seeing a playground. So there's just a portion of my conversation, recent conversation with uh, Richard uh, Saunders. So just a couple of minutes uh, here, fewer than I had visioned having a conversation with you, Jason, because I'm very interested in your take on this. But your your one or two minute take on these interesting ideas. 
Yeah, so I, I'm I'm actually quite intrigued by the this idea of kind of how cultures shift in their understanding of of these monuments and these places uh, shift over time. Um, but I'm also interested in kind of the, the the influence of power that is in there. So if we think about like Confederate monuments. Um, you know, many would think that the Confederate monuments were erected immediately after the, the, the Civil War. Uh, but that's not the case, right? Many of them, the grand majority of them, were erected uh, in the early 1900s as a way of, of saying this is the philosophy of the South. And if you are a person of color, that, is, that means a completely different thing. But if you're a person of color in the early 1900s, you don't have the power to uh, to say this is oppressive to me, or this is uh, this is challenging to me. This makes me f- this makes me want to flee this space, um, and that power has shifted over time as uh, as people can interpret those as what they were, um, as a, a statement of uh, this is the philosophy of the South, and we get back to this idea of listening to one another, and I think about what how how kind of um, I don't know, averse we are to, to listening to the fact that that just because I see this this way doesn't mean the other person is going to see it the same way. Um, and that that changes generationally as well. Simply means that culture is doing what culture should do, which is flex and change and hopefully evolve in good ways. Hmm. And we're chronicling it here on Access Utah. We're promoting, I hope, this, at least we're attempting to promote this kind of uh, dialogue uh, and listening to each other. And uh, so we would love your support. UPR.org, UPR.org, or 800-826-1495. If you can uh, go to the $120 level, you can get the latest book from David Isay, Callings, The Purpose and Passion of Work. Only five of those left. Jason Gilmore, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so very much for having me. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org.